It felt like my head was spinning, and the words Mary spoke were just confetti in the wind. I need an exit plan. So I'm continuing to record and post my life, or at least the parts that explain and describe this crazy world we live in. Last time, I trawled back through a couple of months' worth of journals to piece together my story on the eve of my probable death. I've changed the way I'm doing things, uh, or is it that I'm establishing what I'm doing? Look, anyway, I'm now collecting my journals every week or few days, whenever I get the chance, really and posting them. I've decided to continue my original method. I record as much as possible direct to cloud storage, and after a week, a script looks in various places and, and posts whatever it finds out to encrypted locations via an onion network. I've got a guy or a girl, I don't know anything about them except the screen name, and they package and release my journals as a podcast. The one you listen to now, oddly enough. Today, they've taken a couple liberties with the packaging. They've put some graphics on the front, a bit of theme music, a bit of editing to make the story a bit more interesting, I suppose. But look, the point is that the story gets out there. We caught a glimpse of the... what are we calling it? Them? Gnomes? Yeah. For lack of a better term and for our inability to reliably pronounce the Romanian name, we're calling them gnomes. Or maybe goblin would be better as I can't help but think of something cute and homely when I say gnome. No? Look, we saw one and we know there are others. It just now ran off down an old service tunnel. Turns out this train yard extends underground to some extent. We don't know how far. I wouldn't have thought very far since the train line itself is above ground. Oh, oh crap! You guys okay? Gremlins, or gnome spirits, as David Geldstein, our esteemed and long-dead author, called them, supposedly work for the Zane, or a Zane? I think these Zane are guardian nature spirits of some kind, usually good, or something that at least approximates to that. Exit plan security that's exitplansecurity.com, was contacted, initially through email, to perform a security audit of a construction site in Sydney. Several workplace accidents had occurred and the project manager suspected sabotage. I didn't know what made a contact us rather than an established security and risk management firm. It became a bit clearer when I entered her office to talk to her. The construction site was a disused, retired train yard in Redfern, a central suburb of Sydney, the colourful history, including a recent riot. Apparently, an Aboriginal kid was riding his bike to get away from the police when he crashed and became impaled on a fence. Nasty business that highlighted the indifference and low social status of our Indigenous population. I could say more, but I think they said what was needed by rioting. Anyway, the construction site is just next to the old Everly Rail Workshop, which is now commercial offices and a museum. The rail yards themselves are lower than the surrounding land, so construction has 
just sunk piers and is being built over the top. The office I went to was a temporary donger, or demountable, as they're called over east. I've arrived at the yard site bright and early, but there's no construction going on today. There's temporary fencing and boards around the site, more just to let people know they shouldn't be in there than to actually keep them out. I've just pulled a post aside and stepped in. The place has the look of an archaeological site, as if the remains of a building or massive concrete dinosaur were being revealed by pulling aside rubble. The floor is down over most of the site. I'm actually not sure that's the right term, but it's a, a big set of concrete slabs sitting on a frame of steel and concrete suspended over the rail tracks. There's enough room under the slabs for a person to easily walk. I imagine they'll use that as service ducts for pipes and cables and frightening monster chase scenes in movies yet to be made. Ah, there's the office. A bit of a giveaway since there's a big yellow and black sign that says Site Office. Hello? Uh, hi. I do want to let you know I'm recording. Is that okay? Well, that was an interesting two hours. It wasn't okay to record. That's cool. Not many people are down with it, so I always make sure it's okay before they start talking. Like, um, what can I say about Helena? That's the project manager's name. The office looked like a normal site office, or what I imagine one would look like. There were some filing cabinets, I know, right? In this day and age? Apparently construction still deals with a lot of paper. Invoices, work orders, material safety data sheets, procedure manuals and printed plans even. So, grey cabinets, a desk with computer, coffee mug, water bottle, maps and diagrams posted on the walls and so on. But Helena, a Greek woman by the look of her, was... <laughs> and the name's a bit of a giveaway too, hey? Anyway, she was looking a bit frazzled. Her wavy black shoulder-length hair was a confusion of classic proportion and the dark circles under her eyes showed she hadn't slept much lately. I got the feeling she was usually very organised and precise, but was not doing so well just now. When she spoke, she started out rather formulaic, like going through a ritual greeting and set of pleasantries she had done many times. It was clear she was trying to retain some level of control over a situation rapidly moving beyond. So I cut her off to help her out. Hi, I'm from Exoplan Security. You contracted us to perform a security audit of your site. That's my um, superhero voice I use when I talk sometimes. I don't really. Yes, it has recently come to my attention that some of the accidents and setbacks on this site may be due to sabotage. And I'm not even going to bother impersonating this time. So that was just me kind of talking a slightly higher pitch. But not really trying to do too much. Ah yes sir, understood. But Exaplan specialises in uh, abnormal and paranormal security issues. So what's up? So I figured I'd just cut to the chase since Helena seemed to be having a bit of trouble. And I thought if I went deep up front it would relieve some of the tension she was feeling. I was right. She watched me for a moment, perhaps waiting to see if I was joking or trying to make fun of her. Then she sighed and sank back into her chair in obvious relief. She told me to shift the junk off the other chair and sit. Then she made me coffee, just 
instant, unfortunately, but it was a kindness and consideration I thanked it for. We sat a moment longer in silence. She seemed to be thinking of how to continue. And she abruptly turned to her computer and tapped away, opening a file. And a video played. It appeared to be footage from a security camera set to watch an area near the perimeter of the site. At the bottom of the screen, I could see old rusted train tracks over a bit of rough blue metal clogged with lumps of greasy dirt. Light spilled over the scene from behind the camera. Sharp line shadows cut the light into rectangular sections, presumably from the columns that ran from the sunk piers through the suspended slab and up into the superstructure of the floors slowly taking shape above. The camera wobbled a moment, it wobbled again, and the video turned off. In analog days, the video would have gone to static, but in this case, the video just ended. Helena tapped the keyboard again, and another video played. The view was similar to the first. This time, the view was inward, toward the temporary elevators. To the left of the elevator box was a refrigerator-sized metal container with a handle and a number of lights. I guessed it was a power junction, or whatever they're called. So, like the fuse box on the outside of a house, only at an industrial scale. The timestamp at the bottom of the video showed that it was about the same time as the first video. The camera wobbled, wobbled again. There was a split second of movement near the oversized fuse box. Then a dark shape moved over the camera and it cut out. What happened? I asked. I'll show you. Helena scrubbed back through the last video to the first wobble. The camera wobbled the second time and Helena hit pause. I studied the screen. I knew she'd paused for me to see something. She wasn't being very communicative. I'm not surprised. She'd seen something that had thrown her and was struggling to come to terms. Heck, she'd called in a security firm that specialised in the unusual and paranormal. People don't do that unless they've had their worldview drop kicked into the stands. It took me a while. Finally, I saw it. And it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. In the shadow, thrown by the power box, there was a distinct shape visible only from the red and green glow from the small indicator lights on the box. It was a face, but it was much lower than you'd expect from a person. It was far too human to be a cat, but too inhuman to be a human. The creature would have stood at most 800 to 900 millimeters high, say around three or so feet for the metrically challenged, but it was possible it was stooped over. The eyes were large, too large. The nose was long and hooked down over a dark shadow where the mouth would be. It had no visible eyebrows or hair, but the rest of the body was in darkness. Once I'd gasped and reacted to Helena's satisfaction, she advanced the video in slow motion. The figure in the shadow moved in closer to the breaker box. I'll call it a breaker box, I think. And it turned to look at the camera. That's when Helena paused and advanced frame by frame. The video player was specifically for analyzing security footage and so came with all sorts of clever features like frame by frame advance, still capture and various color manipulation filters to clear up images. She advanced until suddenly something was in front of the camera. This was the dark shape I saw just before the video ended. She upped the brightness and contrast. The shape resolved into a hand. A hand with six long, 
multi-articulate fingers. She left the image on the screen as I examined it. The first two fingers had an extra joint on each. These hands would be extremely dexterous and able to bend in ways a human hand just couldn't. That was the last frame in the series. Helena turned back to face me with her eyebrows raised and waited. Wow, that is quite something, isn't it? In May 1820, just east of Cluj-Napoca, there's a city in Romania, which was then the Principality of Transylvania. Yeah, I know, spooky, right? There was a series of catastrophic failures of some steam pumps that were part of an iron mine. The locals had a name for the creatures responsible, but I have trouble with that name. The common translation is gnome. Obviously, not the garden variety, as it were. More like what we'd call a gremlin if we were aviators. These little buggers are very handy with technology. You've no doubt heard of the fairy tales about gnomes, cobbling shoes and so forth. Well, they're a bit too alien for me humans to comprehend, but sometimes they appear to be good and helpful. They will lead children out of forests or frighten off wolves, but they will also lead children astray in forests or sabotage technology. This is the sabotaging variety. Why they're doing it is a bit harder to know. It brings back the passage in The Great Journey I read. That's the book by Florence Jules. It's all trippy and likes to reference silver light and the moon. The passage talked about a river that was under and of everything. It spoke of fishermen casting their line in and about how the river changed course despite the best efforts of the fishermen to kick rubble in and block the change. Given the relevance of the part in the book about tigers and monkeys to my battle with a rakshasa, I'm willing to take this both literally and figuratively. Helena opened up a bit more after that, and we've got a contract. Ostensibly, it is a security audit we are doing, investigating the sabotage and putting in place policy to prevent further attacks. She's serious about us doing our work, and she accepted our rates without blinking. Makes me think I should have asked for more. But really, we're getting stacks. In particular, we have a daily expense account for equipment, food, and so on. And that's on top of our pay. So, you know, that's nice. I briefed Tony and John. That's Tony Maroney of Tony Maroney Menswear and Formal Hire and John Tran, formerly of Zurich Security, at our apartment in Sydney. We booked it directly with the owner online on one of those accommodation matchmaking sites. It's just much better value than a bunch of hotel rooms. We decided, ah, look, I've, I've got to get that stuff in order. You'll have to wait. It felt like my head was spinning and the words Mary spoke were just confetti in the wind. I need an exit plan. Thank you for listening. The next episode will be released at the same time next week. The novel of Exit Plan Season 1 will be released at the end of March 2019. If you would like to help support the production of this and future works, please consider buying a copy or recommending it to a friend. 
To keep up to date follow at Gravity Undone on Twitter or Facebook.